Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Jody Richardson, a columnist and freelance sports science journalist. She did her PhD in skeletal muscle physiology and has experience in personal training, education, and exercise physiology. We talk about how to communicate complex scientific phenomena to the general public through sports. We have links to some of her articles on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. This is Henry, and I'm joined by Mike. Hi, everyone. Today, we are speaking with Jody Richardson. She's a columnist for Inside Football Magazine, which is an Australian publication. She also does a lot of sports science writing in general, freelance. Um, but she has quite a, quite a comprehensive scientific um, medical background. So, uh, Jody, welcome. And would you um, start by just telling us a bit about your professional background? Yes, of course, Henry. Thank you for having me. I began as a PE teacher and did a, a double major in physical education and chemistry uh, for my undergraduate degree. And it was really there that I, I did the degree because I loved sport. And it was there that I sort of got my first big exposure to a whole range of sports sciences. And after that, I, I went and taught for a number of years. But really sort of yearned for more um, academically in particular. So I went and did an honours degree at Deakin University, which is here in Melbourne in Australia. And I looked at skeletal muscle biochemistry and gene expression. And I followed up with a PhD at uh, Monash University in Melbourne, looking at hamstring optima and eccentric exercise regimes designed to help change hamstring optima and uh, with the likelihood of, of hopefully reducing the chances of hamstring injury. So that was my academic training and yeah, it gives me a broad overview of sports science and a whole lot of issues in sports medicine which has been in the building blocks I guess of, of my knowledge base so that I, I can uh, address a whole lot of topics in, in the work that I do. I guess you, you said you had a kind of a love of sport in the beginning just as, as a personal interest. And is that what really drove you to kind of make that a career or had you seen other other people with careers in sports technology and, and... I, I it was just purely a love of sport that, that drove me to want to be a PE teacher uh, that was my initial goal professionally and uh, I loved playing sport I loved exercising I loved a healthy lifestyle and yeah that was uh, the, the world uh, of sports technology was unbeknownst to me at that stage. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing from the writing perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So during my PhD, I absolutely fell in love with writing when I was writing up my thesis. I just really enjoyed it for, for the most part. Of course, it did have its challenges. After that, I during that time, I discussed uh, my sort of future career options with one of my professors and... He put me in contact with a science communicator by the name of Julian Cribb, who's just one of Australia's most experienced science communicators. Yeah, we got to talking and realised that this really, as, a, as an option for me, was something that would meet all my needs. As a sports science journalist, I utilised my skills of research, um, my love of learning, communication skills, and I guess my core skills as an educator. So that's what led me into getting started. What I did was I... I came up with some ideas about some sports science topics I, I really wanted to write about and just cold called editors of magazines here in Australia and I made a trip up to Sydney to, to meet a few of them after a handful agreed to chat with me about my ideas. It went on from there. Um, my first article was for Australian Auto Action which was on uh, 
uh, core temperature rises and carbon monoxide poisoning in, in racing car drivers. Yes, since then I've written sports science articles for predominantly inside football. The Football Record, which is a publication that's uh, produced for the football, the Australian rules football here every, every week during the season. Rugby League Week, Inside Cricket, and most recently I've been uh, appointed as a sports science communi communicator for the Australian Institute of Sport. So I'm really proud of that and uh, absolutely loving the opportunities that that's providing for me. So when you go about approaching a story about sports and science, and how do you kind of communicate some, in some cases, some pretty complex terms to an audience that may not usually be accustomed to technical writing or approaching sports from that sort of angle? It, it, it takes a couple of... Usually I write the article. I'll, I'll organise who I want to interview and I try to interview, say, a, a scientist uh, about the, the research that they've conducted and often try to interview somebody in the, in the sport so I provide that context. Once I've planned and written the piece, I usually go back and start looking at some of the terminology that I've used and I've gotten better at it over time in terms of sort of thinking of a word, the first word that comes to mind sometimes I have to sort of rethink and just make a bit more simple and where possible provide an example or rephrase it. So I've just written an article on kicking accuracy in Australian rules football and one of the scientists was talking about the, the kinematic analysis which doesn't really mean much to anyone who hasn't uh, used it before and so then I just went on to say that it was just simply markers placed on the body to provide a three-dimensional you know video of the motion of the person so sometimes I need to do both other times I'll just really change the wording to keep it as understandable as possible so that the people who are reading the article it, it, you know really understand what's happening so from you, you say you have a, a background as a as a teacher and educator do you, do you think that you have a role now of, of I mean, educating people about sport, but also about, about sciences and, and biomechanics and, and engineering, perhaps using sport as a medium um, of communication? Absolutely. And that's the thing I really love about what I do is because there, there are so many sports fans, you know, in here in, in, here in Australia, you know, Australian football is a huge audience uh, as far as sporting fans go, but around the world... People love their sport and I think that people would be really interested to understand more about what goes into their favourite sportsman or woman or team achieving success and I really think that with that extra little bit of information that they can gain from the sort of work that I do and the, the sort of work that other people do in the, in the area of sports science communication that it can, you know, spark people's interest hopefully because it's it's pretty fascinating stuff, and yeah, if they if they read a little bit about it in the magazine, perhaps they might be inclined to find out a little bit more, or or, or think things through a little bit differently, have a different perspective on uh, on the the sport that they love. So, what's the biggest challenge in trying to kind of get that message across? Is it the terminology, or is it some just not having people have that much experience with science and sport? I think the the challenges are getting the right balance of perspectives in an article. Um, say, for example, a, an inside football article, I like to have the, the scientific perspective and uh, translate sort of the, some of the, the sort of the complicated science into understandable terms for the reader, but also bringing the perspective from the football 
aspect so that the, the reader can put the science into context in the sport so that it really can gel with them and they can they can uh, sort of combine the two ideas together and, and see where it fits with their team or or a particular player if, if it's uh, if it's a particular player that I'm focusing on. That does include interviewing athletes as well as the scientists that work with them? Yes, that's right. So I, I generally try to have uh, two, sometimes three interviews for an article. I, I, I'm really um, proud of a particular article that I wrote on uh, looking at mental health issues in Australian rules footballers. For that particular article, I interviewed Maddie Clements, who is the AFL Players Association Wellbeing Services Manager. I interviewed Heath Black, who is an ex-player who has very publicly uh, talked about his experiences with his mental health. And also Jeff Kennett, who was a former Premier of Victoria, State of Australia, but also the President of one of our football clubs. And he's a um, Chairman of Beyond Blue, which is the National Depression Initiative here in Australia. So. I had the sort of the fundamentals from the programs that are being put in place to help protect players and build their resilience and coping skills. A perspective from somebody in the mental health world who can talk about the impacts of these issues on players outside of football and the importance of us addressing it. And speaking to a player who's had these experiences and who's imploring other players to seek help early um, not do what he did and wait too long and end up, you know, suffering a lot because of it and uh, getting himself into a little bit of trouble here and there. Is this stress related from being a professional athlete or inherent in performing at that level with that level of scrutiny? Yeah, ab absolutely. The angle that I took for the article was to get the reader to imagine themselves uh, being in a job they last uh, with a, a career that could end uh, at any moment that, that was out of your control, say, for example, that you was, you know, a player was seriously injured, that the job they love and the income, the acclaim and the camaraderie could all sort of be behind them in a flash if, if something uh, goes awry in terms of an injury. Getting the reader to understand that, you know, the scrutiny of uh, the people watching the club, uh, having to perform each week, uh, having, you know, the public also commenting that it's very difficult to switch off from the sport, the pressures of the performance in front of large crowds, all of those things really do contribute to the players' mental health. And I guess that what the AFL Players Association identified was that a lot of players were seeking mental health services that are provided. Um, in 2011, 43% of AFL players sought help from the mental health services, so that's nearly half. And what they were finding was when they were seeking the help for these psychologists that they were reporting uh, experiences of drug use and gambling and inappropriate coping mechanisms for the stresses that they are experiencing. Yeah, the, what, the, what the AFL Players Association have implemented now is a program with the rookie players to help them to build their resilience, to cope with the pressures, of football and also to build their coping skills strategies so that they've got appropriate coping skills when you know they're experiencing the pressures of the game. So Mike and I are kind of involved with the technology and equipment side of things and, and products and such and um, so from our perspective we, we kind of see that people are eagerly kind of absorbing new technologies and people expect more technology in, in professional sports and such. So the question is have you seen 
in, in your time of doing this, have you seen kind of the demand for, for more education about, about the technology in sports, more, more literature? Have you seen a, a, I guess a demand increase? I, I really have, particularly in the area of, of football, once again, that the, the sports science is becoming a, a really integral part, or in fact it is a very integral part to the, the way that the training is conducted. And it, it, it's interesting, though, because in terms of the technologies and things, clubs often don't want to give away a competitive edge. So it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22 that there are technologies that are being used. And it, there's a company called Kinetic Performance Technology here in Australia who the, the fellows used to work at uh, the Australian Institute of Sport Developing Technologies. And they've now gone out on their own. They uh, developed the altitude training uh, equipment for the for the simulated altitude rooms that a lot of the football clubs have here now. So their uh, companies like that are always um, really happy to sort of help raise awareness and educate people about what they do and how it works. But from a sports perspective, oftentimes it's a little bit hard to get um, the information that I'm looking for because uh, clearly it goes into publication and then everybody knows and, and that might give away that competitive edge. So... Um, yeah, people want to know, people are interested, but sometimes there's sort of a limit to what I'm able to share with them. How do you find your stories or what, how do you go about finding things that you want to write about? What I generally do is I, if, I have a sort of a bank of ideas in, in my mind that I've, I've, you know, I'm interested in personally and would like to know more about. So I usually present to editors a a group of stories, so for example in early 2012 I'll go back to my editor at Inside Football and I'll present a, uh, a list of ideas. I also get ideas from just looking through um, abstracts or even just titles sometimes, doing some uh, searches through PubMed or Google Scholar and coming up with some some combinations of, of keywords that I, I think would make for an interesting story and sort of see what research is out there. And sometimes it's driven by a paper I come across in my reading and sometimes I'm searching in particular for something. Um, with the Australian Institute of Sport, they ask me to do particular articles. So my first article for them was such a privilege uh, where I had the opportunity to interview Professor Alan Hahn, who was the outgoing chief scientist from the Australian Institute of Sport. He'd been there for 28 years. And uh, he's considered the grandfather of sports science in Australia. And uh, I interviewed him on his experience sort of reflecting on changes in sports technology over his time. And uh, the second article that I've done for them was uh, interviewing Dr. Shona Helson and uh, learning about the Performance Recovery Centre at the Australian Institute of Sport in, in light of a symposium uh, that they're conducting uh, next week on recovery. So they actually say to me, this is what we'd like you to do. And I uh, oblige, of course. And uh, with all the other magazines, Rugby League Week, Inside Cricket, I present the ideas and the editors then make their choice or occasionally suggest an idea to me that, that interests them. There are similarities between like the UK market and the US market, but what have you seen are the... The stories or the technologies that are seem to get the most traction in attracting readers or just a general buzz. Like, are there some kind of general trends in technology and sports that are really taking off at the moment? Definitely, the altitude technology is something that's been a really big part of, of football here, and um, the GPS technology 
is something else that has uh, given a whole lot of data to um, the, the company that manages the statistics for the Australian Football League and the data is Champion Data and uh, there are some key researchers who get to use that information also. So that, um, that technology sheds a lot of light on the physiological demands of the sport in football, in rugby. Um, and one of the things that I think has been very popular are the, the technologies in cricket, so Hawkeye and the hotspot technology. I think the technologies that give the viewer that in, in terms of a broadcast, the added insight to what's happening and to particularly uh, judgments about you know incidents that happen, I think they're the sort of technologies that are very appealing to the, the average person who watches sport. Um, within the sport in terms of improving performance, the, yeah, the altitude is probably the, the key one. Some of our clubs travel overseas, uh, particularly Collingwood Football Club have frequently visited Arizona um, annually to uh, get that altitude training. So, yeah, they're, they're probably the main ones. Are there stories you're kind of working on now that we should look out for? Yes, I've just finished, uh, actually yesterday I uh, met the deadline for the article on kicking accuracy in Australian rules football. So in our sport we have players where they have an opportunity to either kick on the move or play on or take a set shot at goal. So if they've taken a mark, they can take an opportunity to take a moment and uh, have a set shot at goal. And yeah, the, the accuracy of those kicks uh, over the whole AFL playing group lies at around or between 60 and 65%. So I was looking at uh, the reasons why um, kicking accuracy can, can be affected. I interviewed Dr. Kevin Ball. from He's from Victoria University, but he's very much a guru uh, as, a, as a... He's a biomechanist, so he's a, he's a kicking specialist. So... I talked to him about some of the equipment that he uses to assess uh, kicking accuracy in the players. He yeah, uses the 3D kinematics. Uh, they also use force plates to sort of check the uh, stability of the stabilising leg during kick. Yeah, it was very interesting talking to him actually. He's had a lot of experience with our AIS AFL Academy as well as a range of AFL clubs and NFL clubs. Sorry, NRL clubs. Yeah, so he was a very interesting interview. and. One thing that came out of that that was fascinating for me was he was talking about the use of uh, smart leggings uh, which fed back information about knee angle at the impact of the foot on the ball during kicking. So I followed up uh, with Dr Richard Helmer at the CSIRO, that's the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation which is here in Victoria. Uh, so he could explain to me what the intelligent leggings, also how they were developed and how they functioned in terms of being able to incorporate the technology into the fabric and feedback the data relevant to the testing that was being conducted. Yeah, it was uh, a really nice way the article came together. Unfortunately, uh, I contacted a few clubs for player comments, but they're all on holidays, so uh, that was that was the one thing I would have loved to have included, but the, the articles come together very nicely and I think it'll give the readers a really different perspective on uh, something that lots of people have uh, opinions on. Great, Jody. thank you. And hopefully we can post a link to that article and, and perhaps also the one on um, Professor Alan Hahn. Thanks for the conversation. We enjoyed that. It's kind of a different, um, a different aspect to what we do. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And all the very best for the work you're doing. It's fabulous. All right, that's the episode. Thanks for listening. You can find links to a couple of Dr. Jody Richardson's articles as well as her website on our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Bye.